0: Welcome to the in Vino Fab podcast. I'm Laura
1: and I'm Patrice.
0: InVinoFabulum means in wine story and there are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities paired with wine of course. The in Vino Fab pod is a place to learn and a space to share stories about work, interests, passion projects, issues and random wine facts. On this episode of in Vino Fab, we're really excited to invite Kristen Powers to the podcast. Kristen Powers has a superhero name and lives a superhero life. She's a petite powerhouse of empathy, storytelling, and playfulness. As a scientist and artist, she delights in learning, experimentation, and discovery. Nature provides continuous wonder and inspiration for writing and thinking. Plus, it's cheaper than a theme park in her native Florida lands. She finds writing in the third person oddly satisfying, inventing a narrative in her head about her life and making it sound more magical. She loves sharing the art of strategic storytelling to optimize life experience, She currently works for Course Tune, Inc. as the Director of Storytelling and Client Engagement. Her original paintings can be viewed and purchased at her website, kristenpowers.com. Welcome to the Invenofab Fab Podcast, Kristen. We are so delighted to have you on
1: an episode.
2: Thank you for having me, Laura. It's fantastic to be here with you both again.
1: Yeah, We're we're very excited to talk with you and hear about what you've been up to.
2: That's good, because there's been a lot going on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will say, listeners,
0: Patrice and I last saw Kristen at some conference related to learning design, and you were doing something with futures in it was it, OLC research in New
2: Orleans. There that you was go. The last time we we hung out. That's awesome. And I can't remember where this
1: fell, but um, my youngest daughter Rosie, when she was going to Washington State University, I remember seeing you in Seattle. Yes. That yes. Would be probably four ish years ago, I think.
2: Totally. Um, I have had quite the trek uh, around <laughs> the United States. Um, and so, like, I can do a quick, like, recap since we last saw each other. Please. Um, for the, those who don't know <laughs> and throw in some bio details in the way. We'll have a little story segue. Um, I So I was in Seattle uh, in 2016, and I was working at a place called Intentional Futures. And they are a consultancy, they do a lot of design and strategy work, research, a lot of different interesting things. And I was doing a lot of work in studying uh, online learning, higher ed, best practices, trying to really have more talk uh, and and amplify voices of instructional designers. So there was a lot of really interesting stuff going on at the time, which I think is how we all ended up connecting. Um, So I was traveling and doing all these amazing conferences. I was speaking, doing research. It was fantastic, super busy all the time because, you know, productive people like to stay busy. We all probably know this. And um, I'm sure this has come up in your uh, talks with women before. We also tend to stress ourselves out and push ourselves beyond our boundaries. And so I overworked myself. um, And that was sort of the, the kickoff point for a ton of changes in my own life. And um, I ended up getting diagnosed with a chronic pain disorder called fibromyalgia. Totally knocked me on my butt. Had to reset real hard. Um, pretty much like a full reboot of life. Uh, I took time away from work. I had to, to step away from everything and kind of stop life for a little bit, um, mm-hmm. which strangely prepared me really well for the pandemic. Uh, for, for any chronic pain patients out there, it was like... I'm used to this. <laughs> I I know what this feels like. The the like long days, not having a lot going on, being stuck inside. I was like, oh, this is this is familiar. The like weird grieving of not being able to do things. Mm-hmm. Very familiar feels. Um, so that was that was a strange recent association with that. But I I ended up being able to to get to this point in transforming my life, getting back to work. Um, catching up and getting back into projects that I love and I have really sort of found new interesting ways to spark creativity in my life and and you know take take on new projects and find a way to solve problems with like a different mindset and so this whole like wrapping this all together was that this approach of experimenting with life and seeing life as an experiment just a continuous series of experiments um this sort of like the big picture topic to narrow in on what we wanted to talk about today.
0: I think that is brilliant. I will say our bodies know <laughs> us so well, they, they're like, you No, no, you're doing too much. I'm going to shut you down in one shape or form. So good for you for listening to yourself and being required to take care of you first, because how often do we not put
1: our masks on before the plane goes down? I think. Yes. Yeah. And of course, especially now there's a lot of discussion around self-care and burnout
2: yeah yeah so i just got a book recommended to me i'm gonna to totally jump off the, that yeah
1: out.
2: um i haven't oh. read it yet
1: we're, we're both uh, reading that now
2: really are you fantastic okay Yes, yeah, so the that book allow- that,
0: uh, Kristen held up will be, you would have heard in our last episode, uh, we're going to have a, we have a burnout book club. So if you've not heard that episode, Patrice burnout. and I are going to talk about it, <laughs> it and happened. what it means and unpack the burnout book with, uh, it's Amelia and Emily Nagoski, um, two sisters who wrote this science meets art book. So we recommend it. So
2: I'm looking forward to that read.
0: Yeah. I will say people who don't know you, Kristen, another fun fact, um, You are full of color and arts (laughs) and design and you're like you, this is not a visual podcast. So I will describe, uh, she's got gorgeous set of choppy chop slanty bangs that are pink, purple, blue. And I love that. But you also have that in general in your life. Like, art and creativity is woven into a lot of what you do. And um that was the other side of what I was hoping we could talk to you about of like tell us about how you got into all of the things creative.
2: Yeah, well I think it's all connected, right? So in in that I'm gonna call it like my transition phase, which is I, I took a year off from work and I just focused on healing. And in that that healing process I really had to sort of rethink how I was experiencing life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds very esoteric, but really it's like the stories we tell ourselves in the day-to-day, when, when you are suddenly only living with that, it changes everything. And so for, for someone who's in, in chronic pain, bed, I was bedbound, I couldn't walk. I was stuck inside. I was living with my parents in my mid-30s. It was awful. I mean, there were all these like circumstances to just like boo, 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 negative, right? And so finding like some silver lining in there had to require reframing. And so it was like finding a new way to tell the story to myself, finding a new way to experience life through storytelling to make things easier to handle. And like, it's a coping mechanism, but I actually think it's like a really functional strategy that applies in all different places. And so like that kind of kicked me off on a a certain tangent to like experiment with this idea of strategic storytelling, which Mm. is another thing we can talk about. But it, it was approaching life as an experiment. It was seeing things and as an opportunity to create and an opportunity to learn and to fail. And so that's where this all kind of get intermixed of like what the mindset looks like when you have to start over and you really have to find ways to cope when things are difficult, when things are challenging, when you're faced with circumstances you didn't expect, like these are the places that are actually opportunities. And these are the ways that we can like look at this as time to go, all right, I'm gonna dig in, I'm gonna lean into this discomfort and find something good out of this. And it's hard and we don't get opportunities to practice it. And I think that's what I wanted to really touch on today was how to invite more opportunities to taste chaos in your life? <laughs> how to practice chaos. <laughs> so I, I have a I have a list, but I want to kind of build up to get to that list where I have a, a top three um, top three ways to ex- add experimentation to your day.
1: All right,
0: I want to back you up because. <laughs> You're talking to probably brilliant women and those who identify women listeners out there that honestly, failure is not an option for some of them or they're afraid of it or it's um, not woven into who we've been hyped up to be. Like, you can have it all, Kent, but uh, what do you say to them that are like, let's just start with the failure before we get to the chaos is what do you mean by failure and practicing failure like i i can't do that because people are going to see me as x y or z um
2: i was i was thinking about analogies for this and uh, the the one that came easiest for me was an analogy around food cuz i love food and i love cooking and i love baking i used to own a bakery i consider myself an educated foodie, I I nerd out on food shows. And um, so that's part of my lexicon that I can speak in, (laughs) I can speak in foodie. (laughs) So this idea of having um, a certain taste for something. So wine, as, as a theme here, some people don't like wine. And the way you get someone To learn to appreciate something they don't like is you introduce it to them, you give them the background, you give them the reasoning, you give them the story, you give them the context, you let them taste it, you explain why it might be objectively good. And they try to get acclimated, they learn the vocabulary, right? They taste other things, they learn to compare it to other things. And I was thinking this wine tasting process for someone who doesn't have a taste for it is similar to how you might start to learn to experience failure or get someone cultured in having a taste for failure. And I think failure is sort of a delicacy. It's um, something we keep away. So it's sort of sacred and precious. And it's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of it. It's, it's, it's fragile, right? We're fragile. We're vulnerable. And those things are all sort of you know con- connected into why we don't Experiment and why we don't do these things. There's so many reasons not to. There's so much against us in our our space, our environment that um, keeps us from feeling like it's okay to do these things. It's okay to try things and it's okay to fail. And part of that, I think, is that it's um, it's just kind of developing a taste for it and finding where those edges and boundaries are. And it takes a little practice. It's like learning yoga or piano, whatever it is where you do a little bit and you build up skills and you're like slowly progressing and growing the bigger and bigger, you don't jump in to an experimental lifestyle yeah. <laughs> or a, a, a taste of failure, if I would, right? You don't jump in with something big. You're not going to go uh, go out, do an experiment in your life that's going to cost $100,000, right? No, no, that's like, that's giant. Why would you no start small, right? Iterate. I mean, um, people in startup and software world, this whole idea of like being agile, being iterative, you know, using continuous improvement, spiral development. These are not just like software development things. These can really apply to lifestyle, too. And it really has a, um, a strong associative quality with the scientific method. You know, you, you have an idea, you want to test it out, you want to see what, gather some data, and then, you know, see how that uh, compares to, to what you thought was going to happen. I mean, that's like user experience testing, basically, it's also scientific method. So it's kind of about um, finding those, those places, those opportunities where it's okay. Uh, and it's finding ways to practice and build up, build that taste so that it is okay. But to address directly the um, the stigma, right? This mm-hmm. idea of how do how do you talk to yourself so that you can feel good about failure, mm-hmm. and I think that's like that's where the storytelling self talk mm-hmm. um, kind of connection comes together. So uh, has self talk been been a topic on your show before?
0: No, we've not really talked about it, but that's helpful. Um... Because I think some of what you've talked about, and it's funny, I have a colleague, Rebecca Pope-Rourke. Um, she does the Agile Faculty Life, uh, which is essentially what you're talking about is, you you might know her, RPP, she's great. Um, I'll put a link to her book in there. Um, and she talks around the topics of burnout too. Um, but I think it's, what you've said is, These ideas and mechanisms, applying it to your own life is still possible to do. You don't need to be a, yeah, you don't need to be in software startups to do the startup of self. So what is self-talk to you?
2: I think it's, um, it's like, so I frame it as the story we tell, the stories we tell ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We, we are creatures of narrative, our, our framing of the world and the experiences that we have, our dreams, our hopes, our, our ways that we make sense of our memories and what's happened to us, who we are, it's all stories. And so for me, like that's that's like my, my big thing, <laughs> talk about storytelling. So when we think about how stories get told and how stories get made, it also, we wanna look at communication. And so when we're thinking about ourselves, there's different types of things going on in terms of communication there's what people say to us and there's what we say to ourselves Mm -hmm. and so that might uh look different for different people it doesn't manifest the same way it might be i hear a version of myself in my head when i do something um Mm -hmm. I, i drop a cup damn it in my head i hear that that was stupid you clumsy idiot. No, you know, that's, that's the self-talk that we want to pay attention to, right? Those nagging things in the back of our heads that sound like us, but it's really not, it's really not who we are. Cause mm-hmm. we wouldn't say that to a friend. We wouldn't say negative, awful things to a friend. We would be encouraging. We would be supportive. We would be compassionate. We would be understanding. We would say, don't worry about the cup. It's no big deal. I'll get another one. It's just mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> it's funny. Let's clean it up together. Hey, you know, that's what you'd say to a friend. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the things we say to other people is not the same thing we say to ourselves. That's mm-hmm. a problem. And so the idea of starting to look at this as the story we tell ourselves and how do we start using that differently as a way to reframe experiences. So I think we adopt the self-talk that we're told. And this is where I like, um, I'm gonna get like real gestural here. Sorry, I'm like getting big. (laughs) I know your viewers cannot see me, but I am standing and stepping back and getting gestural because I'm all about embodied cognition and thinking with my body. So this idea of like, um, how do we uh, kind of cut off the narratives around us that are negative and harmful narratives so that we can focus on positive self-talk. And so there, there, there's like this almost Marie Kondo uh, effect, I guess, where you like go, does this bring me joy? Do, is this improving my life? Um, and this is about everything, <laughs> not just stuff, but like social media, your books, how you live, who your friends are. And that's like that constant reevaluation process that keeps you open to new experiences. So there's sort of these these little bits of pulling from you know different different philosophies, different disciplines, where I'm like putting this mishmash together of like this this is a lifestyle where it's okay to test and try and fail and learn, and it's growth mindset. It's about resilience. It's about making sure that um, it's playful and that it's almost. Like embracing the childishness in a positive way that we've lost as adults. And I think women in particular, and I'm going to like ping, ping, ping on this, uh, have a lot of pressure on them to look and act professional. And generally, that means hiding emotional, playful aspects of themselves Mm -hmm. and now in a work setting and not being able to be their authentic full selves in that way, uh, I think, is where we're like smashing creativity into the ground. Because creativity and play need that relationship. They need experimentation. You need to have that room to give innovation to grow. Right, that whole, that's why Marie Kondo is so great is like, she gives you room to breathe. You're like room to feel joy is that you've removed the clutter out of your life. And that's, that's kind of the same process is that you know, you've given uh, room to experiment, room to innovate, room to learn. Um, and for me, that's like connecting continuous improvement as like a process in life. <laughs> that Like I'm just in a continuous improvement human <laughs> cycle. I don't know what version I'm on though.
1: (laughs) Well, there's so much to unpack there. And, you know, as you were sharing that, um, I was also thinking about research I've done in self-efficacy. And one of the pieces of that is words of encouragement, but I've never really seen kind of teased out that like self-talk piece. Thinking back on your lived experiences, is there something that Um, helped you be open to failure or, you know, what was that experience, you know, what was that experience like for you?
2: So I think a good setup would be that I have always sort of seen myself as this weird mishmash of scientists and artists. And like, as a child, I would do experiments in my parents' bathrooms in their sinks, creating concoctions and like mystical potions and chemistry experiments. And, you know, that to me was like, just pure joy, just seeing what happened and making things. And so there's this like curiosity that never died in me. And I think that's like the biggest thing I can pound into is that like, I am just always trying to stay curious because you can't be judgmental and curious at the same time. They're like just opposing forces. Mm -hmm. And so if you're always in a curious mode, you're always in curious mindset, a curious approach to whatever it is experiencing in your world. uh, It's hard to be judgy about it. It's just like functionally your brain doesn't do it. And so um, that curiosity as a child has really driven me through a a unique path (laughs) of testing things out in life and seeing what happens. And so I, I, uh, my backstory that led me to this, right? Like pulling all the, all the threads together is that I, you know, I got into ed tech because I love education. I love being able to make an impact and help students because I think learning is foundational to improving all of life for everyone, whether, whether we're talking about women in South Africa or, you know, kids in, Uh, you know, Iran, it doesn't matter, like, learning can improve all, all qualities of life, so education became, like, the foundational thing that I cared about, like, my passion, sort of core, I guess, Uh, and finding ways to, like, experiment in that world, I've tried all different things, I've, you know, worked in different places, but, like, the life experience that I think made me really um, bring together the scientists and artists that, that put it in place was, getting fibromyalgia like you're suddenly like okay who are you and and what are you about you get down to like really foundational questions when you're in those really turbulent situations and um you know my my background in education and research and science and learning gave me a real tool set it gave me a tool set for being able to research my own problems (laughs) so I like I have a binder. <laughs> I have documents, I have notes, I have I have tons of research articles. I used what I know about science and learning and understanding and process and and trying to make sense of patterns and and all of these things that I've learned in my work to solve this problem and then I designed experiments in my life. So I was testing supplements, I was testing therapies, I was testing sleep schedules, I was testing foods and how they would react. I mean, I have so much documentation on my own, like, bowel movements. It's silly. <laughs> but like, that was the level of necessity to to try to figure out what was going on, because I wasn't getting help from from the experts, right? I didn't have experts to help me. That's one of the unfortunate things about people with chronic pain is like, people don't know enough. And so you're kind of on your own. So I felt very um, very much like I had to become this expert. And I think that forced me to really rely on my key components, which was like, creating and inventing and testing and experimenting and finding ways to solve a problem, a really hard problem, which was like, how am I gonna live and not be in pain? <laughs> and like, I get emotional, but like, that was really what it was down to, you know, and that's like, pretty fundamental. You have to find a way to solve that problem. So like you can go back to work and you can have, you know, a a semi new normal life and you find a way to reframe it and um, tell a better story.
0: (laughs) This work is hard. um, And your emotions, our listeners can hear and we can see um, it's really shit hard work to transform yourself. And you did it personally (laughs) and professionally and for health. And I—that this is something I really just want to stress is um, transformation of an identity of who you are and who you want to be is fucking hard work. And so I, I want to put that out there. And I, I want to say and ask you, you held space or created space for your new you to transform. Like, how the hell did you do that? In, 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 <laughs> with a chronic illness and, and yeah. figure out your next life or what you want to be.
2: Yeah. Um, I failed a lot. <laughs> right. Let's start there. Um, you know, I tested things that didn't work. I, I, uh, I had things in my life that I wanted to hold on to because I had some reason that I'd created that I needed this thing, whatever it was, abstract. Um, what would you been, hold
0: on to? What did you want to hold on to?
2: uh, you know, like I had this idea that I was going to be a certain type of person for a long time. I thought that I had this like certain path that I had to follow, right? And so in the the transformation, right, like I'm going to just invoke the phoenix here. The phoenix goes through fire and that shit burns, right? So you have to kind of get rid of everything and start with a clean slate. So in like letting go, I let go of who I thought I needed to be, all the pressure from other people, all the like stories I told myself of who I was going to be by a certain age or like how much money I was going to make by a certain year, what level title I was going to have at a certain like all this sort of nonsense checklist professional stuff that we make up as like how we're going to judge success. (laughs) You know, it's given to us. It's it's pounded into us that we don't have an alternative path of defining success for ourselves and it's not encouraged and so that was my opportunity to redefine it for myself and I wanted to live a life of creativity I wanted to live a life where I could do the thing that I love I love making <laughs> I love being able to invent and the uh, the sense of this is like I needed a reason to live. Mm -hmm. I needed something to hold on to. And the fact that like, no matter how bad my days were, I could still do something productive. And that was uh, the thing I held on to, it didn't let go. (laughs) And like now, that I've got it and I've got more capacity. I've got more energy. I've got this great job. I'm like doing the things I love. I'm back in education, like pulling it all together. Now I'm taking those exact same strategies and optimizing. <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't gone through that awful traumatic experience, you know, skip that step. Really, it's, it's not necessary. Um, if you have gone through it, my condolences, you're probably stronger and better off for it. But if you can take these lessons learned and apply them to your own life, you can optimize without having that, <laughs> you know, that trauma. <laughs> Let's skip the trauma.
0: But sometimes you need to feel like I will say, sometimes you do need to say goodbye and grieve and be angry okay. and be frustrated. And um, something I will point out that blisters don't know because we aren't a visual podcast. Sorry, uh, Kristen does amazing artwork in all forms artwork on body paint, face paints to artwork on canvas, other objects, items. And so when she says create, she means like put crap to places and make it look <laughs> gorgeous. And I was like, I can't do any of that. So I think you have an invention that's physical because you actually make and you also have given yourself room in, in what you want to be and who you want to be in life is not just like, I'm doing this thing with a title and this is my job. It's, I want to do these other things. They're just delightful to me.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm really structured in my like, approach to life because I'm very goal-oriented now. and. Um, so I, I, I kind of like jokingly aside before we started, I mentioned that I turned 40 last year, right? So at 40, I was like, okay, this is a good, like midpoint to do like a review, a self review, (laughs) like, where am I at? How, how am I doing? You know, what do I want to do more of? What do I want to do less of, you know, typical thing. Um, so I, I decided that, you know, I'd been, um, I'm really attracted to the, uh, the the concept of rhizomatic structures and how you know you kind of disperse in a a horizontal network touching on things and connecting and that that's great for um certain types of models especially when you're talking about thinking or ideas and how they connect and i feel like my first 40 years were really rhizomatic i covered a lot of ground um and so like fungi grow rhizomatically, they connect all the trees and this, uh, I'm really into plants now. So that's my new new analogy set, <laughs> it's all plants related. So so fungi connect them and that was like, my first 40 years was all rhizomatic learning. And now I think I am structuring in like deep focus. So like tap roots, plants that dig deep down. And so I chose three areas in my life that I wanted to like just dig deep down on. And so um, I think making those types of decisions is part of that clearing out process and making room so that I can allow like new, new stuff to happen and um, invite that sort of like, we'll see what's next or how to, how to have more room for experiments. So that, that's kind of like part of that transition of applying it now to optimize is like finding those opportunities to uh, sort of do a self-review.
1: <laughs> so I'm wondering, you talked about um, resilience earlier and you know how you failed and tried again and failed and tried again and i know you know a lot of research shows the importance of like a support network and connection and you know, i'm wondering if you could share a bit about either how you developed that or both developed that support network and kept out anyone who maybe would be toxic towards your support
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, support comes in lots of different ways. When someone is going through something traumatic and turbulent and life-changing, it can um, require different things at different periods. And so I think as I progressed in my own uh, states of getting betterness, my needs change. Mm -hmm. So so I, I kind of like, I started with sort of this general idea of a support network throughout the process and then I had to like zoom in on my own experience and go, no, that wasn't really right. Um, I, I think I wanted different things at different times. And for the most part, I found it. Um, the the most important thing was therapy. Mm-hmm. I had fantastic therapists. <laughs> I, um, I was super lucky. I totally lucked out. My first therapist, when I got diagnosed, was blind and had gone blind in a weird freak accident and was amazing to help guide me in this new world of different abilities (laughs) and disabilities and labels and context and dealing with what people say and self-judgment and like all all of this, you know, like almost all of this stuff I know I stole from my therapist. You know, I'm <laughs> just like reframing it for my own life and picking and choosing what they've taught me. But yeah, um, I think my support network was really uh, get a good therapist um, that matters and they can give you tools that you can apply to other things. Um, I had a handful of really good friends that were back home where I was at. And, uh, you know, because they knew me before I had this experience because they had this like sense of who I was before, it made it easier to be around them where I didn't have to be anything i felt like i sort of had this safe space with them that was nice um whereas people who'd known me either during or like only through that that duration of of sickness weirdness path um it was very hard for me because i felt like well, you you you've known me in these highs and lows, and I probably look really inconsistent to somebody like that. And that's part of the challenge with something like fibromyalgia, where like every day is totally different and wackadoodle. And you're like, today's nutter butter, tomorrow's great. I have no idea. (laughs) 10 minutes from now could be awesome. (laughs) Like, it's just wild. You're on a roller coaster all the time. And so that's like part of the forced flexibility that I kind of have to have now I have to be totally plastic all the time, like neuroplastic, just, you know, ready to change. I have to be because I can't predict things for myself anymore with as much accuracy and certainty as I used to have. So that kind of weaves it all together.
0: (laughs) I was wondering if you go back to your roots. You said you have three things that are rooting you these days. What are those three things now that you've kind of established, hey, I got to have priorities in my life. And these are going to be the three things.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, I I'm like naturally oriented to being project manager for myself. So I, I create like projects and Trello boards and things for myself, and I have like whiteboards all over my office. And you get a picture of the type of person I am. We support Even that
0: my, nerdy project management self. Good for you.
2: It's just like I I feel like my life feels more fulfilling with those tools applied to it, and I don't know if that's what qualifies as type A, but so be it. (laughs) Um, So, so I wanted to choose two, three things, just like the why is that I wanted to be able to um, focus deeply and experiment within those realms, because what I've realized is, especially in my art practice, so I am a painter. I, I also do all kinds of random things. I really have been exploring floral sculpture lately, and I've been exploring resin art, and I love trying new things and learning. So I knew that one of the top things, my topics to to dive into was just learning. I wanted to learn new things. And so I needed a constant supply. So I have a giant list of things I wanna learn. So like cur- current list of things I am working on, um, uh, foraging. I am learning to forage for plants, identify and eat medicinal and edible plants. Um, I'm learning Old Norse because I find it fascinating. <laughs> Um, I I started taking care of wild snails in uh, a terrarium a year ago, and I now have this amazing little terrarium. People can't see this, but my snail family, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Males and spending more time in nature and um, just learning new new things new I need novelty my brain craves novelty because that's what keeps me connected it keeps me interacting is that new newness of things so learning had to be one of the, the top priorities to keep that going especially in a pandemic where everything feels the same all the time. <laughs> And I'm in Florida, where we also don't have seasons, so it also kind of makes it feel very uh, stuck. So I'm I'm trying to find ways to break that. Um, like brain hacks of like creating novelty. So learning was one. Uh, the second one had to be related to um my art practice and diving deep on art practices that I wanted to um, sort of overlap with learning. So I'm 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 trying to think about how to double up on my goals. So I would want I would experiment with new art medium and new art styles, uh, topics, things that I hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. And then I want so like clay. Uh, I'm starting some clay figurine sculptures. Um I have some idea of doing electroforming with bones. I I collect bones cuz I'm out in the woods all the time. And then I've been doing these resin sculptures with dried mushrooms because I'm out in the woods all the time, collecting little like cute little teeny tiny mushrooms. They're adorable. I'm making little resin things. So like just making new things, trying new things, trying new new styles of looking at things. So learning art, and then the third one is kind of a left turn. Um, love. I I decided that um, in in my life I've. Explored uh, socially and and you know relationship-wise a variety of things, and um, love manifests in different ways, of course. So like not just a romantic love, but like connectedness to a community, to friends, to family, a love of of life, a love of learning. Just like how does love manifest? And so I wanted love to be a topic of experimentation and exploration.
0: I love that. Those three things. (laughs) I was just wondering about kind of like you've figured it out and it's not easy. And this pathway is still like, it's still, you're in experimentation mode. And I wonder what kind of advice you might give to listeners who are thinking, yeah, but I can't do that. That's not me. That Kristen seems way too creative and clever. What do you say?
2: Yeah, no, no. Um, actually, what's funny is like when I meet people for the first time, like at conferences, right? And first there's that like, um, that visual impression, which is like, oh, she looks so different. And like, I get I get these things like, you're so brave. And I'm like, I have different colored hair and I have tattoos. And, and yes, I have stretched ears. I look different, I look different, right? But you wouldn't tell someone they were brave for just looking different in, in any other context, right? But when it's like against a, a professional background, suddenly it's brave at conferences and things like that, or when you're in a work environment. And I think it's important. Um, I'm sort of like diverging into authenticity at work, but I think it's important that people find workplaces that support them being authentic. Let's just throw that in there. That's important, but also that they um, find sort of that that way to talk to themselves so that they feel like it's safe. So there's like a- accepting that it's a practice um, and, and finding baby steps to, to approaching that, that curve of what it looks like to living like a crazy experimental wild life. <laughs> you know, don't jump off into that deep end of having pink hair. It's okay. You can make baby steps. <laughs> so here are, here are the, the top three ways that I would invite experimentation into your day. And there can, they can be little things, right? But these are like small, small steps. Personal grooming, number one. It could be a small thing, such as like skipping a day of when you are doing certain things or changing how you do certain things. There's like different ways to experiment. It doesn't have to be the same type of experiment. You can experiment with process. You can experiment with duration or styles, like types of experiments, but uh, personal grooming, um, you never know what could happen. You could invent something interesting, or you could find out you like something different about yourself, or you could see something about yourself you may not have noticed before and like be, hey, I'm amazing. Yeah, let's do that more often. And then uh, the second one was driving. Um, I get lost all the time. And now I'm kind of leaning into it and being okay with it as like, that's an opportunity for me to find new things.
0: (laughs) It's exploring. Uh, If you don't get lost, then it's, you're not learning something new. There
1: you
2: go. I I think that um, allowing it to be okay to get lost is important because like, that's a moment for suddenly something to be either like really stressful or you can make it silly and playful, right? That's like that crucial moment, right? Like, are you gonna get angry? Are you gonna be like, (coughs) that was silly. I'm gonna find this new place now, cool. And uh, I think you have to have that sort of childish playful approach or else you're gonna stay in that angry place and miss things. You miss opportunity when you're in that angry spot. So um, being okay, driving around, getting lost, uh, letting that chaos happen, that's important. Um, the first one was personal grooming experiments. And then I think the third one, uh, which is personal to me is like cooking. Um, I, I love food and making things, but I also just love experimenting. And so I will set aside certain times to be like, okay, I'm cooking tonight and I'm just going to get lost in it and I'm going to see what happens and I'm going to mix things and I don't have a plan and that's okay. And I'm all right with that. And that sort of, um, I don't want to say like a fly by the state of your pants experience because it's more more like um, leaning into letting your body be the guide I think that embodied cognition notion of that like your your body is really the thinking object and so I, I kind of let it take over rather than being in my thinking talky brain so cooking is that great place to like try new things. So if you're going to find little, little ways to experiment in your life, that would be experiment with personal grooming, get lost in driving directions, get lost in the woods, you know, that's important. And uh, experiment with your cooking.
0: (laughs) I think those three are really great. And I think yeah, you could, um, honestly, we have these little devices. You could put in your cert- favorite search engine here and look at things and figure things out for cooking. You could go, yeah, like you said, if I'm on a hike and I don't get lost, I feel like it's not a real hike. And uh, and then I think you're right. Like I think how you've just looked at me, I haven't showered for a day or two. And that's fine. Do what you want. We're all working remotely now. Um, these are sound pieces of advice. And I, I will say that um, I'm so glad that you could play in our experiment sandbox to share a little bit about your own kind of personal transformation and how you think about it. Because I suspect there's others out there listening that are reflecting on what they want to do and who they want to be. And these are really hard questions of who am I, what do I want to be? And they're not easy. Are there any kind of like resources or things you recommend for listeners to check out that maybe if they want to experiment more and figure out themselves that you say, you know what, this really helped me uh, figure out my, my next path.
2: I, I think there are a couple things that are useful. Um, I was thinking about the book, Happiness is an Inside Job. Okay. I think that's a good one. I think that um, uh, if you want to see a good, um, fun introduction to what this looks like in an anime... Uh, Food wars anime, um, which I know I, I recommended to you last time we talked uh, it, it's 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 silly but it's got this chef who uh, jokes about the taste of failure so like I'm sort of riffing on him and you know why he's so good is that he's willing to practice and fail and he's willing to learn from his failures and he counts his failures. So he's like, I've lost 500 times and he gloats about it. And that's like a mark of how much he's learned from that process. And so I, I dig that anime. Um, I think uh, reading things about how we make sense of the world was part of my journey in this. And so things that are about embodied cognition, I think, really, really helped me. Um, It gave me a way to leverage what I was already good at. So like, I know that I like to move, how do I use that knowledge of myself to really structure my day better? Or um, I know that I uh, feel better when I'm outside? How do I use this knowledge of myself to, uh, strain, you know, do these things to improve and optimize my life? So that's where it's kind of like, I think things like agile, you know, agile or lean, you know, these philosophies of startup and design, um, at, you know, growth mindset, reading about resilience, these, read Brene Round, like these things that are about empathy, There's so much out there now, and it really is fantastic that so many people are talking about it, but it's weird because I don't think it all gets connected, like, Mm -hmm. in this uber way of, like, now how do we actually apply it and change things? And so for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to just make myself the test subject and see how I can change and improve my own life through this creative experimentation and, like, wild mindset of okay i'm gonna just sort of like see what happens and be okay with it and learn from it and yeah yeah i think it's about um being your own best resource actually listening to yourself more (laughs) can i can i plug that
0: yes i don't think
2: people are quiet enough (laughs) And I think people are afraid to be in silence and, like, sit with their thoughts and actually, like, analyze what are they saying to themselves. So that's what I would start with. What are you telling yourself? Be your own research subject. Like, how, how document throughout the day and flag the things you're telling yourself that are negative, that you would never say to your friend or your mother. And and make that list and then decide that you're not going to say those things to yourself anymore.
0: I think that's some sound advice we could we do well with <laughs> listening to ourselves. Um, I was wondering, like, are there anything, like you talked a little bit around your learning and the kind of things you're working on projects, but so I want to ask you, what are you letting go to do these new three things? So you can focus on those learning uh, those practices, uh, the design the art.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Love. Well, we've, we've talked a lot about making room and getting out of clutter and um, being really intentional about what you invite in your space. And so I made a, a big decision that um, it kind of had been building for a long time, right? I think this is one of those slow burn experiences that a lot of people have. And I, I don't feel unique in my story here. But, um, you know, social media had been something that had this great promise at one point, I think. And it it, it delivered somewhat, right? I, I had... Really great benefits at one point from being on Facebook and Instagram. I don't have those benefits anymore, and I was primarily using it for uh, connecting my work. So um, kristenpowers.com is my artist website, uh, where you can actually read about some of my philosophy on art and experimentation. So I am doing like blogs, and I have an artist insiders list. You can sign up on my newsletter. Um, I'm gonna do my own little plug there. But I I wanted to be able to get rid of things that were no longer benefiting me. And so like in that self-review process, it got put on the chopping block. And, um, you know, I'd noticed, especially since the last four years, that it's very hard to not get triggered (laughs) to be online because um, I'm very like, uh, I am very aware of the type of words and media in my space because I'm, I'm sensitive to that stuff because it's in my brain as soon as I look at it or I hear it. And I don't want certain types of media in my space because it can uh, trigger an emotional reaction, which is a stress reaction, which for someone with chronic pain or PTSD is not optimal. <laughs> so it's really about managing my environment and what's like coming in so it's sort of a pain therapy connected wise. Uh, is getting rid of social media. Um, so I, I decided to just like cut it off. Um, and I, I kind of wanted this like slow internet movement of going back to like the internet of the nineties. And I, I want to have web rings again and long, long form blog posts and, you know, I'm going to do it in my newsletter and I'm excited about that uh, because it's, It's more personal, I think, and it's more me. It it gives me a chance to really flex some writing skills. I don't like having to, you know, make short, blippy things. But that's not how I really process anyways. And I don't know. So getting rid of social media was part of it. I also have made some decisions about, like, just how I use media in my life. So, like, as a chronic pain patient, I have to spend a lot of time sitting down on my, my, on my butt and on a heating pad. <laughs> so there's like this logistical problem of what are you going to do when you don't feel well and you're on your butt? And so I was like, okay, well I have to watch something or I have to make something if I can, if my hands feel good. And so it's like, um, on the days where I can't, uh, write or draw, cause sometimes my hands hurt really bad and I'm going to watch something. I've been like really deep diving on documentaries about artists and um, people who are doing things in totally different spaces than I am, just to like fill my brain. Um, I, I like this idea of the the harebrained tortoise mind from Guy Claxton. And so like, I, I, it's like feeding the tortoise, right? I'm -hmm. I'm feeding my brain inspiration for something I might use later. And so I'm trying to, like, reframe that, you know, in one context, shitty pain moment where I can't get up and I'm stuck on the couch. I was like, this is a learning opportunity and I'm feeding my tortoise, you know? (laughs) Like, that's, like, the storytelling in action. That's exactly what it looks like. And that's, like, you get there through experimenting. You get there by finding, like, Well, I know that I like this and I know that I can ignore this. And this is what my body does when I react to this. And you can kind of take all those elements. And after some experimentation, you jiggle the right knobs. You find this like combination of elements and you're like, oh, if I do this process in this sequence with this order, then like I can optimize this situation for something better. it's it's kind of weird design system thinking to like your, your life.
0: (laughs) You, I was going to say you do apply that and you do have to let go of some of these things. So I love that you said media, that's not just social media, but how we consume, how we partake, how we engage. I will say we'll miss you on Instagram. But I'm excited about this newsletter and I am going to link it to our show notes so I can stay in touch and I can learn from your creative self because I think you just brightened up my feed when I looked at Instagram. Some of the garbage that's on there is garbage. So um, I look forward to following your slow artiste movements and thinking processes.
2: Thanks. Thanks. And I'm, I am digging into some other passion projects. I, uh, I would be lost to um, not uh, connect this to like the bigger parts of my day, which are, you know, working in education. So of course soon I'm doing a lot of work trying to connect instructional designers to the work we do. So like, this is uh, a call to you, um, instructional designers of the world, like come talk to me. I want to help. (laughs) I want to find a way to amplify the work you do so
0: well and I Let's should say we end. haven't even talked about professional roles because you're more than your job is what I always say but professionally you tell stories like that's kind of your yeah. job at course tune and yeah. so what kind of stories do you want to tell uh, do you want learning designers and instructional designers to come talk about or what should we talk
2: about yeah yeah so I think what I know right now is my like driving driving goal is that um I hear so many stories about just people losing any joy in their job. Mm. And um, there's a variety of reasons for that, especially in academia. But I think that there's something about instructional designers and the work that they do that they like the work. And there's something very special about that. And it's, um, it's something that I am sort of keyed into because I have that same you know mindset and approach. But I also think that they have stories about how they introduce that mindset to other people and how they bring people along with them. They are amazing guides, right? They are mentors and they do so much heavy lifting in bringing people into like the philosophy of what it means to be a good educator. So like that, that, I want that, I want those stories. And like, how do we support you? (laughs) 'Cause I, I like I work in the industry where we're, you know, we're building a tool to support that. We're building a tool for instructional design for curriculum mapping. But there's also more to it because that work like a tool is one thing. It's also like, how do you talk to people? How do you have conversations about this? Like all of these things, I think that it ends up being something that, that that work lands on instructional designers a lot. And I would love to talk to them about that.
0: So. All right. We'll put a call out. And as an instructional designer myself, I am really interested in what you're going to unpack. And this conversation <laughs> not over. Okay. We're at the segment of the show where we ask our guests some common questions. So let's kick it off.
1: So uh, one question I always love to hear is your favorite wine or what you like to drink when, uh, when you relax.
2: So, um, unfortunately, uh, chronic pain does not get along well with alcohol. um, it's, it's a sad thing because um, I, do, I do like to pretend to forget that everything's fine and I can drink wine and it's okay. I love wine. I love whiskey. I love tequila. Um, but uh, my body does not. <laughs> so my, my drink of choice, which I've, I actually really do enjoy, um, if I am out and being social in a celebratory mood, um, I love lime club soda or grapefruit club soda uh with a splash of grapefruit juice or pineapple juice um mm. usually grapefruit juice low sugar um but that's my that's my drink of choice
0: <laughs> i'm a big fan of those as well so good we we welcome all beverages we're not yeah. beverage agno- we're not beverage agnostic now knowing that you are a storyteller and you love stories is there anyone that's kind of uh standing out for you at this point in time that you would recommend our listeners check out
2: i think uh, i totally have some like Weird documentaries I've been watching, right? So yeah, go um, on. So in my in my like days where I'm on the couch uh, binge watching documentaries, I've been exploring um, documentaries from people who work in totally different professions, uh, and it, it's more stemming from just like curiosity of that, like talking to experts and learning from experts. So it was people who are like in a specific field where they have to be experts at it. So one was stuffed which was a documentary about um, people who were working in the taxidermy industry. And oh my goodness. Hey, <laughs> uh, they're just amazing characters, like just hearing their stories and learning about them, watching them, seeing the different types of people. Super interesting. And like, I love when you get introduced to like a vocabulary of a discipline. And so like they have words for things and like labels and, you know, organizational structures of how they refer to people. And I love that. Um, I've been watching uh, a, a documentary called Booksellers, which was about antiquarian booksellers and like the whole industry of selling old textbooks and documents and like fine art now and other interesting things. But that was really fascinating just how that worked as a market, like an industry, and um, the effect of different like uh, outside forces on how it affected the book market and like what came into trend and out of trend. And that was just really fascinating because I'd never thought about books in a economic market sense. Um, And then the other thing that's been tickling that itch is uh, there's a series on Netflix called Forged in Fire, which is a weapons making, forging competition show that uh, it's it's got all the things that are great about competitive TV shows, but, like, if you stripped it of drama and added objective judging. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: It's really great. And then instead of, like, n- knowing that they've taken all the drama out, right, through scripting and, like, stu- stupid scenarios that they, you know, create, they make these... Um, testing things where like they're testing how strong a blade is or how sharp a blade is but they do ridiculous testing things like chopping a pig in half or like stabbing bamboo and it's like all ridiculous so uh, i've really enjoyed that because again new vocabulary totally um, get amazing advice and like judging from experts. They have like these weapons experts and historical recreation experts and like really amazing people from these fields that are so vastly different from my world. Uh, so that's been fun. That, that I would say like, you know, those have been great. I've, I've loved those shows, but like, yeah, just like do something different. Do different I, I think
0: you have a th- trend though. I see a trend of you getting in- interested in what interests other people and gets them so niched into their craft and their work and peeling back the why, the what, and the how. So that makes sense. Uh, instructional yeah. designer, friend of mine. I get that. <laughs> I totally get that.
1: you work like working with subject know, matter
0: experts, <laughs> subject matter experts and how to explain it and understand it that this makes total sense. So it is,
2: it is. It's funny because I, I joke at work all the time. Like there's, there's like, there's a type of, person, right? Like there's that type of person. And, and I I use different terms for like, depending on who I'm talking to, but it's like, oh, you're like the type A and like, they know, or like, you're the person who likes organization, the the person who's, you know, likes, likes to be a certain way. And yes, it's like systems thinking, it's design, it's structural. It's like knowing how things work, knowing the why behind things and like knowing the power of words and labels and choices and like brains and decisions and motivation and like all of it. Yeah. I love that world.
0: Keep that curiosity going. Don't change. Okay. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share or that's bringing you joy that maybe our listeners could uh, be exposed to?
2: Yes. Yes. I think that um, everyone should walk outside and find an interesting plant and then find out everything they can about that plant if they don't know what it is learn that plant's name learn to call it by its name and then your life will be improved
0: <laughs> that's a great challenge one challenge one plant go find out what it is figure it out
2: learn learn your learn your neighborhood it's important i love it Kristen,
0: I could talk to you forever about your curiosity, <laughs> your creativity, and then just transformation because that's we're both into similar things. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on the podcast and I hope that our listeners enjoy this chat as much as I did.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: <laughs> to catch the next episode be sure to subscribe to in vino Fab wherever you get your podcasts find us on twitter and instagram at in vino Fab, and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet private message or email at invinofabulum at gmail.com cheers cheers